Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Our guest speakers this morning practically need no introduction because they are here pretty much every year. Did we miss a year in there with the COVID thing or not? If we did, that would be the only time, I think, uh, since you've been coming here. Uh, I've known them since, uh, since I went to Farmer City. That's when I met them and was, uh, they, they, they minister in Niger, Africa. They're going to tell you more about their ministry than I can tell you. But it's been 10 years. It was 10 years this year since uh, a team from Victory in Farmer City visited them and ministered alongside them and threw up alongside them and everything else exciting that happened on that trip. Am I still the only one that ever got sick during one of those trips? Okay, good. Uh, uh, the worst. Was, nobody got sicker than me. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's been 10 years since, since we've been there. And uh, I, I would love to send another team from Living Word Family Church. Uh, love to be there, but until they come up with a trans- transporter machine or something like that, I probably won't be going. Anyway, they are such a blessing. Uh, most of you have heard them. Most of you have heard them multiple times. Uh, they are a favorite, if not the favorite, regular guest speakers we have here at Living Word because you've seen their heart, you've heard their story, and uh, we just, they feel like family. It's always a pleasure. I'm always excited to welcome them here, so would you please join me in giving a warm Living Word welcome to Neil and Danette Childs. Ten years kind of shameful (laughs) that it hasn't been, you know, sooner. Good morning, everybody in Akwananku. Akwe Hausa. Babu Hausa. Ah. To. Munadore. Thank you. Sabore Yesu. Amen. We have life because of Jesus. It is good. And it's not like we're like family. I feel, I, feel like, I feel like we are family and we're so grateful for you. Is it okay if I stand down here? I don't have to. Okay. Um, and it's, it's such an honor always to be here with you and, and to say, you know, we're one of the favorites is, wow, that, that's amazing. And thank you for that, whether it's true or not. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, we have a a video to show you. Before we do, I wanted to kind of give a family update since we're family. Um, I think there's, I don't know where they are, but we have a picture of the kids. There's Toby, and Toby is, uh, just finished his third year, so he'll be a senior at Oral Roberts University. This was actually just a couple weeks ago. He was on a mission trip in Guatemala this year, and, and now he's in Atlanta doing an internship with Operation Mobilization, so he's doing great, um, but we miss him in Niger. Seriously. Um, and then we have Tanika and Steven. And Tanika was here several years ago, I think just after she graduated or right around the time she had graduated from ORU um, and Toby. So there's a big gap between Toby and Tanika. And so that was a lot of years ago. And of course, this is her husband, Steven. And um, he's studying to be a nurse and is in the National Guard. And our little guy, Levi and Jethro, and they are as cute as they look, I'm telling you. We just left them um, yesterday morning in Tulsa. Tanika is a teacher in Tulsa as well. And then um, Trey and his family, 
Um, yeah, we have six grandkids. I know. Wow. Um, so Judah just turned eight this week. He's the oldest. And then there's Charlie. Charlie girl is six. And then Desmond in the middle is four. And Ollie is two. And they live in um, Wenatchee, Washington. And Trey works for World Vision there. So we're so blessed. Our family, um, all walking with the Lord, we're so excited about that and grateful to God. They all grew up in Niger and, you know, speak the languages and all that. Toby is the one that's probably the one that will want to follow in missions. He's really seeking God right now and has a real heart for unreached. And speaking of unreached, I don't know if you know, but next week, next Sunday, is the National Day of Unreached for Unreached People. And um, there's three, uh, there's a, so one third, one third of the world's population, so almost three billion people have no access to the gospel. And that's why we do what we do, and that's why we're so grateful to have partners like you supporting what we do. One of the songs we were singing this morning, there was one line that just hit me. It says, I want to love Jesus and hate the, wor- hate the, the darkness. Hate the darkness. I want to love the world and hate the darkness. That's what it was. I want to love the world and hate the darkness. And that line just struck me because we think of darkness as sin, but I'm thinking the darkness of the bondages of the world's other, the religions that aren't the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. And so there's nearly 3 billion people that have yet to hear in 2022. And so we have some work to do and we're doing it. We're doing it. And so um, I wanna, want you to watch this video update, um, but just to let you know where, where we're at, we have now 65 churches um, in Niger with Via Bandant. There's a lot of other churches there as well. The gospel is moving forward, advancing in spite of the terrorism and the persecution that the people are facing. Um, in our Bible school, I, always, I teach the book of Acts, and I always teach strongly, persecution will always grow the church. So it's frustrating, the things that we're facing um, as far as the terrorists go, but the thing is, it's going to be, I mean, the devil's going to regret it because it's only going to grow the church and the gospel is growing and Christianity is growing in Niger. Um, at the beginning of the video, or I want to give a quick testimony before we watch it. So since we were here last, we finished our primary school, which has been a 10-year building project. And we dedicated the school. And this year we have, um, we're actually finishing up in two weeks the school year, but 400 students in that school. And they come from Muslim homes, these children. So just to, you'll see the, you'll see the school in the video, but just to give a little context to what's happening there, the majority of those, of those 400 children come from Muslims' homes. I mean, I'm saying 90% or more in this school. And so just a quick testimony, since we've been here, Habibu, our director, sent us. He said there's a little boy that started in the school this year. We have a a preschool as well, um, and he's three. And he was in the classroom, and the parent, the dad brought him and said, I'm really struggling with this boy. He, He bites himself, and he bites everything else, and he doesn't talk. And he was a real problem kid. And so Habibu said, okay, well, we'll try it out and see. Well, after the first trimester... Things were not going well. He was, you know, a disturbance in the classroom. And the teacher came to Habibu and said, I can't continue with this. We need to remove this boy from my class. And Habibu said, I agree. He was about to call the father. And he said, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, teach him praise and worship. And so Habibu went to the teacher and said, here's what God just told me. And are you willing to do this? She said, yes. So in the classroom that day, she began singing worship songs to the boy. And he calmed down and he stopped Uh, 
biting. And, and so he goes home that evening and the father calls Habibu and said, I don't know what's going on, but he's singing these songs. And because he's so busy singing, he's not biting anybody. And, and so he came back to school and the testimony is that he is now engaged in the classroom just like a normal child. He attends class, he's learning and he's speaking because of the power of worship in the school. And so those are the kinds of things that are happening. And it was a, it was a Muslim family. So you, as you watch the video, I want you to really understand that what you're seeing is your fruit. Um, the beginning of the video, just the first few minutes are, I mean, the few, first few seconds are, there's no music because we just put in honor of Neil's dad passed away this past year um, in Niger, is buried in Niger. And so it's just um, the, the first part is we kind of dedicated this, the video to him, but it's also dedicated to you guys as partners. And this is your fruit. Hallelujah. That is, we have life because of Jesus. Amen. It is truly an honor to be here with you. We love to show everybody what we're doing because it's not just what we're doing, it's what God's doing, and it's what God's doing through what you're doing. And so your giving is making it possible to go to the nations and to reach people that have never heard the gospel before. So we don't just show this for you to see, you know, everything we're doing, but it's what you're doing. And at the end, it says, thank you. That is our heart today. Thank you. We're so honored when people say, oh, they love to have us come, you know. And I was just telling Pastor Scott last night, there are a lot of different churches that support us, but we don't always show, we don't always go there because when you go there, it's like, yeah, they send money, but there's not really a relationship. They don't really care if we show up. I, tr we truly feel when we walk in these doors, people are greeting us. They're like making us feel like we're part of the family. I mean, you've got the right name, Living Word Family Church. We're part of the family. So thank you so much for welcoming us, for supporting the work. And together we are reaching the unreached. Amen? And how shall we say Mungodi? That's thank you. Mungodi daga zulfin zucharmu. Thank you from the depths of our heart. We, it is such an honor to be here today. Um, as Danette mentioned, my dad had passed in, uh, this, this past year, and I also uh, was mentioning to Sister Pam and to Scott about the passing of Pastor Larry. And, and, and I know that one, one of the biggest things on my heart is always honoring those that have gone before, and my message today is really in line with that. Some of y'all may have gotten my book a couple years back when I'd come through uh, Beyond One. Do we have the, you want to grab it? Just hold it up. How many have received one of, a copy of our book, Beyond One, and have read it? Okay. Today, I want to share along the same lines of that. And if you haven't gotten it, I have more books out there. It's just whatever Pastor Scott says, but you're free to take one if you haven't gotten one. And um, it's really something that's so close to my heart, generational thinking. And so tonight, or this morning, we're going to kind of hit some of that. Are you here this morning? Yes. Are you ready for the word? We are honored to be your missionaries, and, we, and I hope that comes off right from the bat, that you send us out, and we can't do what we're doing without you. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and it says, 
Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Hallelujah. I love this passage. I've heard some great messages from this passage of Scripture. How many have heard a message out of this passage? Raise your hand. I mean, I know we're, 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 we're word of faithers. We, we've been around the Scriptures. We know this passage. You know, I've heard messages about increasing your vision, expanding your capacity, building for tomorrow. Great messages that come out of this passage. But you know what? As I meditated this passage, the Lord began to show me this is not just about vision. It's not just about capacity. It's not even just about tomorrow. This is specifically about generational thinking. This is about being next generation minded. You know, when we read this, it says, sing, barren woman, you who never had a child. Get ready because you're getting ready to have some children. You know, I've had friends that have not been able to have children. They got married expecting to have children and they couldn't reproduce. And I remember that in just sharing with my friends, different ones would share how helpless and hopeless that felt. You know, that, 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 that curse of barrenness. Well, I want, you to, I want you to know today that the curse of barrenness has been broken in the name of Jesus. And if there is any barrenness, any helpless and hopeless and barren situation in the house today, it's over. God is saying rejoice and begin to celebrate. Amen. Barrenness no more. This is about being next generation minded. You know, so often we want to like push the children aside, just like Jesus' disciples. There's like stopping the children from getting to where Jesus was. And Jesus said, uh, uh, Jesus had to rebuke the disciples and says, let the children come. You know, we've always got to be reminded of how important that next generation is. So today as we look at this passage of scripture, I'm wanting to talk about being generational thinking. Our God is a God of generations. Amen. He's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. He's the God of generations. And as I talk about next generation mindedness today, and as I talk about our children today, as I talk about being fathers and mothers in the faith, this isn't just about our natural children. You know, the Apostle Paul said in, in, to the Corinthians, he says, though you have 10,000 instructors, you have not many fathers. How awesome it is to have fathers in the faith. Amen. Fathers and mothers. We need fathers and mothers. And what that statement tells us is not just you have one spiritual father, but we have those that mentor and speak into our lives. And it's not only about having them in our lives, but it's becoming a father and a mother to those that are coming after us. Amen. So as I talk about generational thinking, as I talk about being next generation minded, I'm not just talking about our own natural children. Amen. But I'm talking about those that God has put in our life to be... the. the that we've been put in a place of influence to speak into their lives. Amen? Amen? Come on, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to feel like I'm in Africa again. Amen? Hallelujah. There's four things in this passage I want to look at today. Celebrate, prepare, expect, and release. The first thing I see in this passage is it's about celebrating. Amen? I mean, the, the text comes out and says, sing, barren woman. Begin to rejoice. Begin to shout. Because you who never had a child, you who was never able to give birth, get ready. Because you're getting ready to have a lot of kids. And they're going to go out all over the place. Amen. It's about celebrating. So the first thing we have to do, know in generational thinking is we need to put a value on the next generation. 
We need to recognize that that next generation is important. God is a generational God. I was thinking about that. Just this morning, God gave me a picture of a chain. How important a chain is. It, 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 it continues on. Every link. It's not just about the link. It's about when they're together, that it produces. Our God is a God of generations. When he created the earth, he created it fundamentally with, with that mentality of reproducing. I looked up, how many, how many know of DNA? We all talk about we need that DNA. You have your natural DNA. You have your spiritual DNA. We want the church to carry the DNA of, of the founder of the house that had a revelation of the word of faith. Amen? And so we want that spiritual DNA. You know, DNA is, by definition, I looked it up, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it had to do with replicating material, reproducing. God created this earth with, with reproduction mentality. Amen? And we've got to realize generational thinking. This is how God operates. So when we celebrate the next generation, we're, we're celebrating how God created us to reproduce and celebrated us that, that this would continue on. One of the things as a missionary that I've learned that growing up on the mission field in Nigeria as an MK and now with my family for 24 years on the field, one of the things that I've learned is if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, we cannot just be missional, although that's part of it. Missional is about sending and being sent with purpose, but it's also about being generational. We'll never fulfill the Great Commission if we're not both missional and generational. The Great Commission says, go into all the world and make disciples. Going is missional. Making disciples is generational. So as we're talking about generational thinking, it's not just about our natural children. It's about those God has put us in a place of influence that we can disciple. You see, discipleship, to be a disciple, you got to make a disciple. For Jesus called the first disciples, come follow me, and I'll make you to be fishers of men. Following Jesus isn't about being a follower. Following Jesus is about being a leader. Because when we follow Jesus, we're leading others to follow Jesus. Because this is, reprodu this is reproducing. This is generational. Amen. God is a God of generations. We cannot think in the, in the bubble of just a single generation. But we've got to see that just as God fought down through the generations. Amen. We've got to celebrate the next generation. We have to think in generational ways of thinking. Amen. Why did God love Abraham so much? Because Abraham was generational. Why was it God able to bless Abraham and said to Abraham, through you all the generations, all the families of the earth shall be blessed? Because Abraham was generational. It says God could trust Abraham because he knew that Abraham would command his children after him. You know, from the very beginning, Abraham's big deal was, God, who's going to inherit my life's work? Is it going to be this slave? God said, no, it's going to come through you. How many know we've got some people that are coming through us? Amen. We're going to be raising some people up. Amen. Because God is a God of generations. And we've got to value that. We've got to celebrate the next generation. The second thing I see in this passage is preparation. Right from the text, it jumps out. It says, you who never had a child, get ready. Because you're getting ready to have some children. Amen. And begin to prepare. The most obvious part of preparation that we see in the text is about making room. It says enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains wide. Strengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. Stretch them out. Make room. We've got to recognize if we're going to be next generation minded, if we're going to be generational approach, we've got to make room for the next generation. Amen. Making room for the next generation. That's not just about a building. Can, can you give me some water? My mouth's really getting dry here. It's not just about being next generation. It's not just about having a place in a facility, in a classroom. And praise God for your church. Praise God for this incredible 
facility. Man, if I could have this in Niger, wow, that would be awesome. Can you imagine this, our, our main church in Marathi? Of course, if, if this was in Marathi, man, <laughs> this place would be crammed from corner to corner. Amen. And that balcony would be shaken during praise and worship because that thing, <laughs> if you've seen us dance in, in Niger. Hallelujah. Preparation is about making room for the next generation. Making room for the next generation. Enlarge the place. It's not just about a facility. It's about giving the next generation the opportunities. It's about making room for them because if we don't make room for them, the world will make room for them. You see, if we're not giving them their responsibility, we're not making a place for them to do the activities that they need to do, I'll tell you, they'll find a place that they can go do what they want to do. It's about giving a room. It's about making opportunities. It's about giving responsibility so that the next generation can do what they've been called to do, preparation. We've got to prepare for the next generation. One of the things I see in Scripture are three T's. If we're going to prepare three T's, it's teaching, training, and telling. Amen? We all know that Deuteronomy tells, tells us that we got to teach our children when we're going out, we're coming in, when we're laying down, we're getting up. We're teaching our children. We're teaching them the, the ways of God. We're teaching them how to live. So we teach them, and then we train them. Training is instruction with correction, and it's with repetition. So all this is about preparing the next generation. We teach, and we train, and we tell. You know, one of the saddest, the saddest storylines of Israel is that they continue to fail to pass on to the next generation. Psalm 78 tells us, Psalm 78, starting in verse 4, it says, And we will not hide them from the descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes. Uh, he decreed statutes for Jacob. He established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them and even the children yet to be born. Even the children yet to be born. And the children, they in turn would tell their children, and they would put their trust in God, and they would not forget his deeds, and they, but he would, but would keep his commands. The three T's, we've got to teach, we've got to train, and we've got to tell. One of the saddest storylines in Israel is that they failed to pass on to the next generation. Now, God had even warned Israel. God had even warned Israel when they're crossing in to go into the promised land. He says, one from every tribe is to take a stone out of the Jordan so that when you get into the promised land, you're going to use those stones, you're going to make a memorial so that in the time to come, when your children see that, they're going to ask, what does this mean? And you'll tell them all that God had done. But you know what? Israel apparently failed to tell. Failed to teach and to train and to tell from generation to generation. And one of the saddest scriptures I, 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 I've come across is in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, and after that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them that knew not the Lord nor the works which he had done for Israel. There'll always be another generation. Remember, God is the God of generations, amen? In fact, Genesis chapter 8 verse 22, it tells us as long as the earth remains... There's going to be day and night. There's going to be winter and summer. There's going to be seed time and harvest. You see, as long as we're on this earth, there's going to be another day. There's going to be another season. There's going to be another generation. So we can't just think in one generation. We cannot just think in terms of what we're doing today. It's not just about this service. It's not just about one speaker. It's not just about one moment in your life. But we've got to think generationally, what has God done in my life? Amen. And how am I passing that on to the next generation? And what am I picking up from, the, from those that have gone before us? Amen. Generational thinking, we're preparing, we're, and, and they failed. How sad is that? It says after that generation had been gathered to their fathers. What generation were they talking about? 
the Moses and then Joshua generation, right after Joshua passed, they forgot. They knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Imagine that generation. That was the generation. That Moses and then Joshua generations, they're the generations that saw God do incredible miracles in Egypt. I mean, from the pouring down of hail to the, to the uh, turning water into blood to a stick becoming a serpent and back to, to the splitting of the Red Sea to cross over in dry land and then cover over the enemies. I mean, come on. If there was ever a generation that had saw the miracles and the power of God unleashed, it was that generation. And then the next generation comes and knew not the Lord nor the works we'd done for Israel. That's a tragedy. Oh, may that never be our testimony. May that not be the testimony of Living Word Family Church. Amen. That after God has done some incredible miracles, you look over your heritage of what God has done in the lives of the congregants here in this place and imagine that the next generation comes up and they don't know the Lord nor what he had done in Living Word Family Church. May we never have that testimony. Amen. We've got to prepare, we've got to teach, we've got to train, and we've got to tell the next generation. Amen. We're preparing, we're preparing them. And it says that, that after that generation be gathered to their fathers, another generation arose that do not the Lord. The best way that we can prepare, the best way that we can prepare for the next generation, prepare that next generation, is by connecting them to those that have gone before us. We've got to keep the next generation tied to the godly heritage that we have. You see, Israel would go from a judge being raised up and bringing deliverance and the power of God unleashed to then the next generation completely turning its back. You see, the scriptures tell us that there is a great danger when there is a disconnect of the generations. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, it says that he's going to send the prophet to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to the parents lest destruction come upon the land. You see there's some consequences when we have a disconnect in the generations. So if we're going to prepare for that next generation it's going to be with a revelation of knowing that there's others that have gone before us. We've got to think generationally. Our God is the God of generations. We can't think in the bubble of just one generation. As a missionary we we go to conferences, we read missions materials, and, and missionaries love one-liners. We're all about the one-liners. If you read my book, I've got a, several in there. But my favorite is, is by Oswald Smith. I first heard it being quoted by Dr. T.L. Osborne. And he said, why should anyone hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it once? Man, I love that. Another great one by the father of modern missions, William Carey, says, to know the will of God, you've got to open a Bible and open a map. Amen. The mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Man, these are great one-liners. These are all about being missional and about going and praise God. And then I heard one, and it says, and only this generation, this was by Livingston, only this generation can reach this generation. And when I read that one, I was like, what? That just doesn't sit right with me. I know what its intention is, is we're the ones who are here now. We've got to do the work that's in front of us. I get the intention. But you know what? That's a pretty small-minded statement to think that whatever's going to happen is going to be because of what you're doing. I've got to know that what I do today is not just impacting today, but it's going on to impact tomorrow. And what I do today is not just on what I've done, but it's also on the shoulders of what others have done before me. I've got to begin to think generationally. 
When, I, when we got ready to go to Niger in 1998, we were, um, had traveled around, raised our support, and we're getting ready to launch out in one of the last churches before we were moving to Niger, was praying over us, and a prophetic word came out based on John chapter 4, I think like verse 38 or something. It says, one sows and another reaps, but I'm sending you to reap where you've not sown, and you will enter into the labors of others. It was a prophetic word spoken over us. Man, when that word came, I was like, wow, I like that. I'm going to receive that. And you know what? Praise God that when we've been in Niger, we have actually seen, we've, did you find the verse? Oh, did I get the, oh, verse 38, I got it, okay. <laughs> and we've seen that verse come true in our life. We have been reaping fruit. I mean, if I thought that all that we're seeing in Niger and what you're seeing in those videos of what God's doing in that nation, I'd be pretty messed up, pretty puffed up if I thought what was going on was because of me. You know what, it's not because of me. The ministry that we're doing is because of we're just reaping the benefit. We're reaping what others that have gone before us have sown for years and years. I mean, number one, my dad. My dad was there, and I took over the foundation that my dad had laid in Via Bandad. But not only that, it goes back to those that have been there sowing seeds and tilling ground over years and years. We can't think in the bubble of just one, uh, one generation. We can't just think that what we're doing today is because of what we've done. We've got to think beyond that. Today is Memorial Day. We're honoring those that laid down their lives ahead of time before we were ever here. Some of them spilled their blood so that we could have freedoms today. And we need to pass that on to our next generation. He asked me whether I like the flags. You know, I like the flags, okay? It's, I know there can be an extreme national patriot, patriotism that can kind of take over us as Christians, but you know what? We still need to recognize that there are people that have gone before us and have set us on a place that today we have those freedoms. And as we pass it on to the next generation, as we prepare the next generation, it's with a revelation that there are others that have gone before us. And I thank God. I mean, today I'm using a microphone. We're enjoying the lighting today. Thomas Edison wasn't this generation. You know? I'm preaching the gospel with the benefit of those that have gone before me. We came in here with our Bibles in our own language. Just read the other day about William Tyndale. Burnt alive so that we could have an English Bible in our hands. That's not this generation. We've got to realize that what God's doing today is not just on what we've done. We've got to think in the generations. Look at those that have gone before and honor them. The apostle, uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews, he said, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those that have gone before us, those that are in the, the hall of faith, amen, now we run knowing that they've gone before us. There are those that have gone before us. And are we ready to run? Amen. Because we're thinking generationally. We're just a link in the chain. Amen. But it's not just about today. You know, there's this, there's this kind of this, uh, this movement, I guess a trendy term out there just about being present in the moment. You got to be present in the moment. You know what? There's a lot of truth to that. Because some people are so scattered, so distracted, and, and, and they're never really present in the moment. So there is something to be learned about being present in the moment. But you know what? You can be so present in the moment that you forget there's those that have gone before you to put you where you are in your moment. And, the, and the, the, not just be so present in the moment that you're not releasing to the next generation. Amen. We've got to think generationally. The Bible tells us a good man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. Amen? My grandfather was a good man. When he died some 35 years ago, he not only left his children houses and cars and, and uh, some money or whatever, some of his possessions, but every grandchild, I can't remember, I need to find out how many it was, but every grandchild got $5,000 in the bank some 30-something years ago. Man, my grandfather was a good man. 
Bible says so. But you know what? Just this past August, my dad passed away. He didn't leave cars and houses. He didn't leave anything like that. But you know what he left was far greater. What my dad left for me was the knowledge of who Jesus was. He left for me a legacy and an example of loving God, an eternal, everlasting legacy, an inheritance. You know, the greatest inheritance that we can ever leave and pass to the next generation is we're preparing them is that we leave Jesus, an example of the genuine, authentic Jesus, his love. Amen. And not only did my father leave an inheritance and a legacy of knowing who Jesus was and, and as Savior of the world, but he also left that passion to take the Great Commission, to, to act on the Great Commission, and to take this gospel around the world. And I'm thankful for that legacy he gave to me. Amen. The third thing I see in this passage in Isaiah 54, we're, we're to celebrate that next generation. We are to prepare that next generation, which is about preparing in, in light of generations. And the third is expectation. Man, when we read that in, in Isaiah 54, it says, Oh, barren woman, get ready, rejoice, begin to shout because you're getting ready. There's, you who never bore a child, get ready because you're getting ready to have some children. You know that when you read that, you realize it's, there's an anticipation coming to the, in this prophetic word given to Israel. There's an anticipation. There's an expectation that we're to have for that next generation. It says, begin to expect. We've got to expect that next generation. Amen. We've got to expect for the generation, and we've got to expect on that generation. We have to, expectation is powerful. Did you come here this morning expecting to receive something? And maybe, maybe uh, the message so far hasn't met the expectation, but you know what? Expect to hear from God, and he's going to speak to you. Expectation is powerful. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus comes up to a tree, and he's expecting He's expecting to find something on that tree, isn't he? Malachi chapter 21 and verse 18, it says, Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do this that was done to this fig tree, man, but you're going to move some mountains. And I'm kind of paraphrasing that real quick. You know, the disciples saw Jesus go up to that tree and basically curse it, not to bear fruit again, and it dried up. And the disciples were so amazed, and they asked, Jesus, how did you do that? When I read that passage, the first thing that comes to my mind isn't how he did it. I mean, I've already read the book. I mean, I, God's the one who created it. Jesus created it. He, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything was created. It was by Him. So I'm not asking how did He do it. What comes to my mind is why did He do it? Why did He walk up to this tree and bam, you'll never bear fruit again. He went up to that tree expecting to get some fruit. But all He found was some facade of a healthy tree. Some facade of a lot of leaves, you know. And in Niger, a lot of people think leaves is fruit enough because it's so hot, man, you're just looking for a tree to get in the shade. But you know what the reality of is? A bunch of leaves is not fruit. Jesus went up to that tree expecting to get fruit, and there was no fruit. That wasn't a generational tree. 
It had, it had the idea that there was a lot of stuff there, and it looked good, and people, people like to gather around a tree. You know, some people are gathering around a tree. Just because you got a crowd doesn't mean there's fruit. Just because you're attracting a lot of people to hang out with you doesn't mean you've got any kind of fathering going on. It doesn't mean there's fruit. Why? Because fruit has seed in it. Fruit is generational. Fruit is going to reproduce. Those leaves aren't reproducing anything. There was no fig tree. So Jesus cursed that because expectation is powerful. And when you have fruit, there's an expectation that it's going to reproduce. And he came up to find fruit and he found none. We've got to put an expectation on our children. We expect for that next generation, and we expect that next generation. We expect on it, because God put an expectation on us. God, God created us, and he put an expectation on us. We have to put an expectation on the next generation. Expectation's powerful. When my daughter, when my daughter was born, she was born one pound, seven ounces. Many of you probably heard this testimony. I throw it out there all the time. But my daughter was so small, she was born one pound, seven ounces. She was four months premature. My wedding ring could fit on her thigh. She was so small and so premature that you had, they had to turn her every uh, like couple hours or so because her head would become like a flat tire if they didn't keep turning it. She was premature. And you look at her in the natural and you're like, how could this be? But many of you all have seen, Tanika's been through here more than once probably. And you've seen, she's, she's got kids of her own now. You showed her picture, didn't you? You know, but you know what? In the midst of all that, you know, we had to expect God to, 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 to raise her up out of that. And, and praise God that she didn't go down, uh, follow the, the, the reports of all the doctors that if she does live, the slight chance that she'll live, if she does, she'll be in a wheelchair and go to school on oxygen tank. Never happened. The only lasting effect she had from her prematurity was that her vision was affected. And she was actually technically blind. She'd had to detach rat, retina, both eyes. One eye could see, like, just light and shadows, and the other, very little vision. I mean, she had to be really close to see anything. Ophthalmologist said her vision would never get better. This is a situation she'd never have vision enough to even be corrected to be able to drive. I mean, she couldn't even have Coke bottle lenses or anything. I mean, there's nothing, no apparatus that she'd ever be able to drive. And she was told that all growing up, every time. We'd go to the ophthalmologist almost every two, three years and get the checkups, and it should never change. But you know what? My daughter never stopped expecting, expecting that God would heal her. And every prayer line, every preacher that would come, if you need a touch from God, you need healing. Man, my daughter was right up there expecting to receive. And she was in high school when my, uh, when my wife, Danette, she got a call from one of her teachers. Now, where, where they went to school in Niamey was a mission school. All the teachers are missionary teachers. And one day, Danette gets this call from the teacher. And it's saying, it tells Danette, I, we were praying. I was praying with Tanika, and we are praying. And, and I'm a little bit concerned because Tanika, she's praying, and she's thanking God that she's healed. And she's really expecting that God's going to heal her. And I'm concerned she's going to be disillusioned. You know, when I heard that, as a father, I was so proud. She was expecting, man. She's doing just what she's supposed to do. Expectation's powerful. Must have been three years now, three years back, two years back. It hadn't been long. My daughter got an Oklahoma driver's license. <laughs> And she's driving in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so beware, you know. I've never been in the car with her, but hey, she's driving. And <laughs> Danette, Danette. God healed her. Expectation's powerful. 
We've got to put an expectation. We put an expectation on God, but God puts an expectation on us. And we've got to put an expectation on our children. With expectation comes responsibility. When God created man, one of the first things he said to man as he blessed him, created and blessed him, Genesis, I don't know, was it one or two? It's, it's really starting in the beginning of the book. And he, he spoke God's first words to man as this. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and have dominion. Right from the beginning, God put responsibility. He put expectation on us. We need to put expectation on our children. So when, when it says, get ready, you're going to have some children. Come on now. You're going to have some children. Your children are going to, they're going to dispossess nations. He was, that prophetic word Israel was about having an expectation for your children. Have an expectation for your children and put an expectation on your children. Give them responsibility. That's about preparing and making room. We've got to give them responsibility. That expectation must be put on our children. So the next generation is where generational thinking is about preparing the place for the next generation. Putting an expectation on the next generation. Amen. Come on now. I want to hear some amens. We're raising up the next generation. God expects us to raise up the next generation and expects us, he expects us to pass on responsibility to the next generation. We need to have an expectation mindset about being generational. You know, a lot of people want to abdicate the responsibility when it comes to the next generation. Um, in Niger, we see this a lot. Because of Islam, there's a fatalism mentality that whatever happens is God's will. They're very fatalistic. If something terrible happens, oh, God made it to happen. You know, they don't even stop their kids from running out in the road because they have this mindset that if, if, if it's God's time to take them, he'll take them and a car will hit them. They take no responsibility. They have this, they have this fatalism. But you know what? The, the pro, and, and we deal with that in these years where, is we're discipling Muslims and trying to get rid of this fatalistic because fatalism is completely opposite of faith. But you know what I have found? Is even in the church... They have fatalism. Now, they call it sovereignty of God, but it's fatalism. It's a hyper-sovereignty doctrine that has a mindset that believes that whatever happens, it's God making it happen. Oh, they love the statement to say God is in control. Terrible things have just happened. Oh, thank God, God's in control. Yes, God is in control of what you give him control of. But not everything happening is God making it happen. And so that type of thinking... It's very opposite of generational thinking because that takes no responsibility for what is you're passing on. You see, we have to put an expectation on the next generation. We have to make sure that we're passing on a responsibility just as God put a responsibility and expectation on us. I mean, Jesus' parable says it very clear. He gave one five, gave one two, and he gave one one. There was an expectation that when he came back, the master came back. He doubled and said, well done, good and faithful servant. He doubled and said, well done, good and faithful servant. Went to the one who only had one, expecting that there would have been some increase, and there was nothing. God has an expectation upon us. And there's a consequence when we fail to meet those expectations. Expectation is powerful. And this hyper-sovereignty type of doctrine wants to remove all responsibility from us. You know... Our children, they, they, we, we just say, oh, whatever happens to our children, it's in God's hands. They say, yeah, you need to pray for your children. You pray for your children. Okay, it's in God's hands. But we have to realize that we have a responsibility. There's an expectation 
from God upon us, we need to put an expectation on our children. Passing on responsibility to our children. And it's so easy to, to have this hypersomity. I don't know, are those chairs near here? I was going to do a, an example. If somebody could grab the, the chairs that I wanted, just four, four chairs. Can I, can I touch this? I'm just going to move it over here. I, could have the, I just want to quickly show a, a little illustration of how sometimes we can get caught up in this sort of hyper-sovereignty where you abdicate responsibility. This is my, oh, didn't I, do we have any? I forgot to grab a, usually I try to grab a paper plate or something for my steering wheel. This is my Toyota up here. Pastor Scott, do you have a, anything there? Anything for my steering wheel? Oh, I use my iPad. I can use my iPad. There you go. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is, this is a Mercedes. Whoa. <laughs> All right. So we have this picture, okay, of when we come into the earth, it's just us. When we're born, we are born in a separated state from God. Jesus isn't in our car. Amen. We know that. And we're relying on our own eyes, tastes, senses, feelings, sight, everything. So we're driving along based on responding to this world that we're in and we've been born into and growing up, learning everything and driving according to what we understand and we're in charge, right? And we're, gro- and we're going along and because of what we see, we turn where we want to turn, we go left, we're, we're the ones in charge. But after some time, we kind of glance through that rearview mirror and we say, wow, I am knocking over some mailboxes, I'm leaving some debris along the way, this is bad. And you get to that point of realization, I need Jesus in my life. And so you invite him into your car, Jesus, will you please come into my heart, Pastor, come on, play along here. So Pat, you ask Jesus, he said, I'm Jesus? Yes, you are Jesus. So you ask Jesus into your, into your car. Sit down here. You're, you're jumping ahead. When you have Jesus in your car, how many think Jesus is riding shotgun? Jesus doesn't ride shotgun. So now there's this mindset of, oh, Jesus in my life. In fact, there's a song out there, Jesus take the wheel. Jesus is in charge. He takes the wheel. And this is how a lot of believers think. Oh, this is the real spiritual thing because he's Lord. He's taking the wheel of my life. He's in control. And so now I'm just riding shotgun and Jesus is driving. What happens when you're on a trip and somebody else is driving? You're responsible for nothing. I mean, you don't even pay attention to where you're going. I mean, I've asked Annette, who rides shotgun most of our trips, to, uh, you like, navigate. Man, we are lost all the time. I'm going to pay for that one later. Okay, but fortunately, we have GPS these days. But you know what? This is not the picture of having Jesus in your life. It's not about Jesus driving shotgun and you're driving, but it's also not about Jesus driving and you're just sleeping the more accurate picture is pastor was trying to jump ahead in my illustrations jesus would you please come into my heart into my life come on over here and you know what when you i don't know if you've ever driven an important very high level important person like a limousine come on jesus play along you're you're jumping ahead stand right over here jesus 
When you let Jesus in your heart, I mean, he, there's a special place for the big man. I mean, when I was younger, I had the privilege of driving my pastor who was like the Billy Graham of Africa, Benson to hosting YouTube. I mean, and he, he was, he did crusades. I mean, raised the dead. Every, he was a powerful man of God. And I grew up in his ministry. And one day he called me over and said, Neil, come on, drive me to, to come on and see some. So I got to drive Idahosa. When I pulled up, I got around and I opened the back door for Idahosa to sit in the car. Because I wasn't, you know, he's the, he's the boss. This is where the boss sits. When you let Jesus, this is the picture of having Jesus in your, in your heart. He's sitting in the driver's, he's in the, he's in the Lord's seat. He's in the master, the, the boss's seat. And so this is a more accurate picture of having Jesus in your heart as Lord, where you are now driving, but he's in the boss's seat. And everywhere you go is according to what the boss says. He says, go there. I go there. Turn here, I turn there. He says, go right, go left, go front. Stop. I'm doing everything according to what he said. Because I still have responsibility. I'm still on this earth for a time. Yes, we know that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. We know all that. But you know, at the same time, it says the Lord, the, the, the Lord is in the heavens and earth he's given to man, right? So we know that on this earth, for this time, he gave us responsibility. We can't abdicate that. We still got our hands on the steering wheel, but we're not just going where we want to go based on our own sight, our own vision. Our own, there's, we've got to follow his direction. So he says, go left, we go left. Go right, you go right. Stop, you go stop. Now, sometimes in the midst of our journey, we got Jesus in, in the Lord's seat, and he's telling us where to, every once in a while, our eye catches something, and we pull over, and we say, Jesus, just one minute, please, if you could step out of the car just for a minute. I just have to go wash the car. I'll be right back. You go take care of some stuff you want to do that you know Jesus doesn't want to be a part of. You go do that, and then you come back, and Jesus, thank you for waiting up. Please, thank you, Lord. How many can relate to that scenario in this? But you know what? Then we're driving along, and you know what? We're always doing in obedience to what the Lord says. This is the picture of not abdicating responsibility, but making the Jesus Lord of your life and putting him in the, in the seat where it tells us where to go. He's not driving. You're driving, but he's telling you where to drive. Now, sometimes we now don't always hear it perfect. We might make a mistake. He might say, go here, and, and we didn't quite hear it just right, and we go the wrong direction. We might find ourselves right in the middle of a, a crash accident because we weren't really hearing clearly the direction the Lord was leading us. You know what? God in his mercy, Jesus in his loving kindness and mercy, he can reach over, and he can take that steering wheel. He can reach over, and he can take that steering wheel. That's your clue. And he can save you and pull you right out of that accident. Amen. But that's his mercy. But we still are the ones who are responsible to drive. Don't give up the steering wheel. Because Jesus doesn't take the steering wheel. You just let happenstance. You just, you know what happens with happenstance? There's some other people ready to grab that steering wheel. Jesus gave us responsibility. We can't abdicate responsibility. I love that statement by Livingston. He says, Christ alone can save the world. But Christ cannot save the world alone. Because he gave that responsibility. So many people are waiting for God to do something when God's already asked us to do it. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Expectation. 
Celebrate the next generation. Prepare for the next generation. Expect the next generation. We've got to put an expectation on the next generation. The fourth area that I see in this passage in Isaiah chapter 54 is after you've celebrated, you've recognized the value of those that God has put in your life to be a father and a mother and a parent. And then you, you prepare for them, giving them the opportunities, giving them the responsibilities, the activities where they can grow in an environment where they can be brought along and you're teaching, you're training, and you're telling. And then, and then you, there's the expectation upon them, giving them the responsibilities. You know, if we don't give them responsibility, they'll find it somewhere because it's in us to do something. And then the fourth one is to release. You know, by, we, we, by the very nature of preparation, let's go back to preparation. By the very nature of preparation, it happens ahead of time. It's done before. Because there's, a, there's only a window of time that you can really be effective and prepare the next generation. We've got to take advantage of the window of time God's given to us to prepare that next generation. Because the time comes, you have to release them. You can't just stay in preparation mode. You can't just always be part of expectation, 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 and never release them to go and do what God called them to do. So many fathers and mothers and parents in the faith, they don't want to release their children, I, even in the natural. I, I'm shocked how so many parents, they just want to keep their kids close to home. In some of these small towns we come to, and the kids are just being held down instead of going out to do what God called them to do. The verse says, you will spread out to the left, you'll spread out to the right, you'll dispossess nations. We've got to release our children, our descendants to go and do what God called them to do. Yes, you celebrate them, you prepare for them, you put expectation on them, but the time comes, you've got to release them. We've got to release them. And if you prepare them, they're going to go where they're supposed to go. We release the next generation. I remember when I was growing up, and I said this, I wrote about this in my book, but when I was growing up in Nigeria, I was just a ch child, and as I was growing up, I was getting to about the height of my father. And I began to tell people, I'm going to be taller than my dad, I'm going to be taller than my father. And I, I remember one Nigerian said to me, he said, in Africa, a son is never taller than his father. Now, I understood his intention. I understood what he was saying by that because in Africa, we have a very healthy sense of honoring our elders and our seniors and our fathers, and, and there's that sense of honor. But you know what? Today, I'm a father, and I'm a grandfather of six. You know what? Today, I want my children to go higher than me. I want my grandchildren to go farther than I've ever gone. Only a, only a small-minded man would try to hold down his children not to go higher. Only an insecure leader tries to hold down those that he should be releasing. We need to have fathers in the faith and mothers in the faith that are releasing the next generation to go and do greater things. Amen. To go and do all that God has called them to do. We've got to release them to go beyond our life, to go beyond our days. Amen. Generational thinking, we've got to release them. I remember a few years back, I came to the realization that my son, Trey, he was in college at the time. I began to realize, Trey has passed me in everything. I mean, when I went to ORU, 
My second year, I was an RA in the dormitory here. I'm this sophomore, and I'm in charge of people older than me. And, and I thought that was a pretty cool deal, you know. And, and then my, one of the months as an RA, I was given a, 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 an honor of being the RA of the month. I got a plaque and a dinner with the dean of men. I mean, yeah, that was awesome. Then my son, he, he goes to ORU, and he becomes an RA his second year at ORU. Cool. But they don't make him RA of the month. At the end of the year, they give him this big plaque and say, RA of the year. I'm like, what? When he was a student, there was a church. He, I think it was just like a sophomore. There was a student, uh, I mean a church in uh, Maryland, I think it was. They flew Trey to go to that church to teach the church on missions. And he said, they put me up in a really nice hotel, and they were feeding me all kinds of seafood meals, and, and that just, it was awesome, Dad, he's telling me, he says, and then when I was leaving, you know, they paid for a plane ticket, they're dropping me off at the, air, at the airport, and as I was getting ready, they handed me an envelope. I'm like, what? When I was at ORU, nobody ever flew me anywhere, and, and definitely never got an envelope, $1,500, like, he's past me, you know, I, he... We, we kind of have this competition of how many countries we're going to and stuff. And, and, you know, I just hit 40 countries when I went to Burundi last year. Last year, right? Yeah. 40 countries. And you know what? Trey's already been to 45. He passes me on everything. He's, what, 20, 30, 30 now, 29, 30. He's already, I mean, he's been to more countries than I have. It's not a competition, but, you know. <laughs> I've never had a house. I've never owned a house in America Anywhere. I've never, I've, I've built houses, I've built churches, I've done a lot in, in Africa and stuff, but I've never owned a house. My son just flipped his third house, doubling his money and selling it for 1.2 million. Yeah, wow. Am I standing up here embarrassed to tell you about my son having gone higher than me? My son going to more countries than me? My son doing, no, I'm standing up here gushing on my son, I'm proud. Because you know what? My son's success is my success. I love that leadership principle that says success without a successor is failure. The word in English to succeed not only means to have success, but it means to come after. He succeeded that person. Because true success is something that continues on. So I celebrate my children. My natural children we come to church and we put them on, the, on, on pictures on the wall for, for, for the congregants to see. They're like, why are these people showing us their kids? Because we're, we're generational. We celebrate our kids. We honor our kids. And we release our kids to go farther. And not just my natural children. One of the greatest things at my dad's funeral, with so many people gathering, is he, he was buried in, in Niger. And, as, and during the funeral, people had come from all over the country, pastors that had been trained up under his leadership and his influence. And they begin to speak. And one, one guy, one leader was just sitting there at the funeral. And he goes, who, who will fill this man's shoes? And some of our people that were nearby turned around, and one of them said, we will, the sons and daughters. Sons and daughters are from all over. One of the leaders of the nation who's over a, an organization that is like, like the organization where all churches are registered in the whole country. And he's the president. He came and, and he said, we all called him daddy. We all, all Christians in Niger called my dad daddy. That's how they knew him. He was daddy. And they said, 
And we're not even the same color skin, but he was a father to us. May we be fathers in the faith. Amen. May we be mothers in the faith. That's discipleship. To be a disciple, you got to make a disciple. It's not up to the pastor to make the disciples. We're all the ones making disciples. Because to be a disciple, you make a disciple. We've got to release the next generation. We celebrate, we expect, we prepare, and we release the next generation. I want us to read in Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And before I read that, let me just say this. In, in Joshua, Joshua makes a statement. He says, uh, let me read it so I don't misquote it. Joshua chapter, you can, go to, you can go to Psalms, but Joshua 24 says, And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What was Joshua saying? He was saying, you can serve the gods of, of our fathers who were on the other side before we really were, were, were following the Lord, or you can serve the gods of those that are right here. But Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what Joshua was saying? There are choices. There are choices when we want to release this next generation. There are choices of how, we're gonna, how our children are going to follow. There's choices how we're going to choose. We have to choose our legacy. The Lord gave me that statement very clearly. He said, your heritage does not determine your legacy. You see, if we've got some kind of hyper sovereignty mindset, we're just going to be like, oh, whatever happens to, to my descendants, whatever happens to my legacy, let it be. Oh, God's in control. Whatever's good. No, you have to choose because it's your heritage does not determine your legacy. Now, I have a great heritage. My heritage, I've shared, my dad shared with me Christ. My mom led me to the Lord at the age of six. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at the age of 11. I went to the mission field at the age of 11. I mean, I've seen uh, growing up in the midst of a miracle ministry of Idahosa. I mean, I look back over my heritage, and I have an awesome heritage. But you know what? That didn't determine the kind of life that I would live. It had an influence. It was a, it was a directing. It was a preparing. It was an expectation on me. But I had to choose. Because our heritage does not determine our legacy. We have to choose. And we can't just say, oh, God's driving and so wherever I go, it's just God took me there. we got to choose. But it also tells us when you, when you say your heritage does not determine your legacy, it means even if you're here today and you had a horrible heritage, maybe you were brought up in, a, in a, an evil house, maybe there was abuse, maybe there was manipulation, maybe there was all kinds of horrible things, of poverty, whatever it was that you suffered that doesn't determine the legacy you'll leave. I told you that to prepare the next generation, do not allow the disconnect. But what if your, gener what if your heritage was so evil? You prepare, you can choose the legacy you leave. And you can connect back. You know what? Because all of our heritage goes all the way back to Adam. All of our heritage. At what point in the heritage, at what point in your heritage did it get off? And you can choose the legacy you'll leave that goes back to a biblical heritage. There are those that laid down our life for faith. There are those that we can choose to be the fathers in our faith. You know, I, I read, once heard Jerry Savelle talk. He was in a meeting. He said, so many people want to be mentored by me. And so they, 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 they want to be mentored by me. And I tell them, hey, my book's on the book table. Go buy the book and I'll mentor you. 
What was he saying? Reading the book. He'll mentor you. He doesn't have to go to lunch with you. He doesn't have to hear all the things that you went through. Now, thank God there's different levels of closeness and relationship and discipleship and mentoring. It's all, it's all part of the process. But you know what? You can choose the legacy you leave, and you can choose to reach back to the heritage that, that you have and pull those things that you know are biblical, those things that you know have gone before you that have prepared a way for you to believe in Jesus, those things that prepared for you to be sitting in this room today. Take those things and pass them on to you, the next generation. May God never split the Red Sea for us and we don't pass it to our children. That would be a tragedy. We've got to release. Are we in Psalm now? Psalm chapter 127. And I'm going to be, I don't know when we normally close in this church. Are we good? Are you there out there? Are we together? The children are like, yeah, time's up, buddy. Okay. (laughs) We release the next generation. Amen. May our children go higher. May they do more because we're releasing them. It says in Psalm 127, starting in verse 3, it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. I mean, that's telling us that our children are not only a heritage, but they're a legacy. Our children are not only a heritage from the Lord, but they're a legacy we're passing on. Our children are important. We need to celebrate our children, whether it's our natural children or those that God has put in our life for us to be a father to them. So we celebrate. And it says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they are contend with their opponents in the courts. Blessed, it says our children are like an arrow. Some people are like, hey, what are you bringing your bow and arrow to church? The Lord says that our children are like arrows. Man, arrows, arrows are so useful. Arrows are what you, arrows were a way of protection. Arrows were the way you used to get your meat. I mean, and it says blessed is the man whose quiver is full. You know, we're living at a time when people's quivers are looking pretty meager. Man, this isn't a quiver. That's an arrow. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Sometimes in the church, sometimes in the church, people are running around with a quiver that looks like this. Never led somebody to Christ. Never discipled. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Now, I only have three children. Most of my pastors, there's not enough arrows to describe their families. But our children are like arrows. And with that arrow, it requires, you don't just put an arrow in the bow. Why don't you hold that for me? You don't just put an arrow in the bow without having prepared that arrow, without having put any expectation on that arrow put expectation on it? When you prepare an arrow, if you, if you just pick a stick off the ground and you put it in there, how many know that thing's going to go flying out of there? Right. Have you ever made a paper airplane and you're expecting to glide across the room? An arrow that has not been prepared. May our children never go pew. You can quote me on that one. So you take this arrow and you prepare it. You get rid of all the bumps, you make it smooth, you polish it, you make it shiny. Because when you've prepared that arrow, it's going to go where it's directed, amen? But what do you do with an arrow? You prepare it and you give it a point. Man, we have been given a responsibility to put a point on our children. We take that arrow and we put a point on it. 
We give it a smooth, straight, whatever, fashion. <laughs> and then you put that in the arrow. And you know what? What else do you do with an arrow? You direct the arrow. You direct the arrow. So we, we fashioned the arrow. We've prepared it. We've given it a point. We've made it smooth. We've made it straight. And our children, remember, we're talking about our children. We make them straight. And then we got to put some expectation, some responsibility on our children. You're pulling back. and you're, You know, and if you don't put any expectation on your children, they never go anywhere. If you never gave them a responsibility, they never step up to the plate. So you put expectation on your child after you prepared it, you made it straight, you made it smooth, you gave it a point, and you gave it direction. Nobody's flinching, man. Y'all are trusting. Like, he would never let go. But how many know that the time comes that after you've prepared, after you've directed, you've put expectation on it, you've got to release that arrow. That thing goes beyond us. Our children are going to go beyond us. And it says our children are like arrows, so we're releasing them. Oh, man, you released that one. That one's going to go into the film industry, and he's going to bring change. And this one's going to be a missionary to Africa. You're directing them. Yes, this one's Africa. Where's Africa? Over there. I don't know which direction Africa is. <laughs> and then you've got something. This one's going to go into the medical field. This one's going to be a doctor, a nurse, and you're directing and you're releasing. And then our children can go higher. You're not holding on to them. You're not saying, oh, I need to keep my quiver. You had a time to prepare. You had a time to put expectation. But now we've got to release our children so that they can go higher. And they can go and do more than we've ever done. Amen. Amen. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. He'll never be ashamed when he's out contending with the enemies. Our children. Oh, sorry. <laughs> can you hear me today? Come on. So we celebrate. We prepare, we expect, and we release. Generational thinking, our God is a God of generations. It's not just about the moment. It's not just about today. It's about eternity. You know, sometimes you can think following Christ is just about the moment. And, you know, Jesus says, take up your cross every day. Thank God for those moments on the altar. Thank God for those moments where you responded to the gospel. Thank God for those moments where, where, where God touched you with his healing power. But you know what? It's not just about the moments. It's about eternity. It's about generations. It's not, we have to think beyond just a single day, a single moment, a single season. What's God doing? And what, what did God do that you're picking up the heritage and you're releasing the legacy, the next generation? I'm going to close with one last passage because I'm setting you up to cry out with me. I want us to go to Malachi, or not to Malachi, to um, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 20. I'm going to close in this chapter. So children, hang on to your seats. We're good. 2 Kings chapter 20, it says, starting in verse 1, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And then he turned his face to the wall. He prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. I mean, here, this is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Hezekiah very clear that this sickness you have is for death. You're going to die. Get your house in order. You're dying. And what did Hezekiah do with that word? 
It says he cried out to God, no, God, remember, God, all that I've done. Remember how I have served you. And, and he cries out and he's praying to God. I mean, man, if you want to preach on prayer, you want to preach on, you know, how prayer can make a difference and prayer can move mountains. I mean, right here, what a powerful example. Because Hezekiah, he cried out to God even till he was bitter, he was weeping. And you know what? It says God answered his cry. And it says, if we're to read on the next few verses, it says God answered his, his cry and added to his life 15 years. Man, the older I get, I realize 15 years at the end, that's a big chunk of time. 15 years. Praise God. God answered his prayer. May not have been the best thing in light of history, but he added to his life 15 years. Well, now we go down in that same chapter. We jump down to verse 16. We jump down to verse 16. It says, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Now, here we see the word of the Lord is coming to Hezekiah for a second time. It says, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon and nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your, they will take away your sons and they will, they will descend from you whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs. In the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, and using the King James, Good is the word of the Lord. Is it not good if there be peace and truth in my days? Good is the word of the Lord. You know what? Hezekiah, he was one of the good kings of Israel. He was one of the good ones. But you know what? At the end here, he missed it. When the word of the Lord came for his life, that he was going to die, what did he do? He cried out, God, don't, don't, don't let this kill me, God. He cried out to God, and God answered his cry and added to his life 15 years. But now the word of the Lord doesn't come about his life. The word of the Lord comes about the next generation. And it says, your children and those that actually have descended from you, that you have begotten out of you, they're going to be kidnapped and taken away. And all the heritage, all the things from generations past are going to be stolen away. And those that come out of you are going to be kidnapped and made slaves and eunuchs. You know what a eunuch is? A eunuch is all generational reproduction is taken away. I mean, this is a, a very grave word that was spoken to Hezekiah. Not about his life, but about the next generation. What does Hezekiah respond? Good is the word of the Lord. Man, why could he cry out for his own life? But he couldn't cry out for his children. And he couldn't cry out for those that are coming after him. Hezekiah missed it. Man, some people, they, they don't know how to respond when I say that because it's like, oh, he said good is the word of the Lord, and you're saying the word of the Lord wasn't good? Hezekiah missed it. May we never have a Hezekiah mentality that we're so selfish and we're so caught up in our life, in our moments, and what we're about and what we're doing that we don't even consider the legacy we're leaving behind. We can cry out for our own life, but we can't cry out for our kids. We can cry out for our life, but we can't cry out for those that God has put us as a shepherd over. And you might not be called a pastor, but you know what? You're called to be a father. You're called to be a mother. You're called to be a discipler. We're all called to make disciples. 
Oh, that was a good place to say amen, guys. We're all called to make disciples. We're all called to step in the role of a father of faith. One of my best friends considers me a father in the faith to him. Even though we grew up as friends, but I brought him back to Christ. I brought, I led him back to the Lord. Today he's a pastor. We've got a disciple. We've got to be fathers. We've got to think generationally. It's not just about us. We've got to cry out. As I close my message this morning, I, w- I want to ask you to cry out with me. Hezekiah, he, he didn't want to cry out. Yeah, and, and if, if you're on the, on the team for, for the praise, it, we're, we're going to cry out and maybe even some music as we're crying out to the Lord. But I want us to cry out African style. <laughs> you know what crying out African style is? We're all going to pray and we're going to cry out to God at the same time out loud. And to make it easier, I don't know what some people may not like this, but to make it easier, I want us all to come together and stand together. And we're going to cry out. Stand up on your feet. I might have to take this in steps here. Okay, stand on your feet. Amen. But how many are ready to cry out for the next generation? You know, there's some, I'm not just talking about your own children, but some of you need to cry out for your children because you know your children are, are maybe in directions that they need to be pulled back and, and straightened out. And, and you may have released them, but you know what? They might not look like they're going where they need to go, but we can cry out today. You know, God changed his mind about Hezekiah, gave to his life 15 years. It doesn't matter. God can change a situation, and God can change the situation for the next generation. We're looking at here in America where culture is gone and where our children are going. We got to cry out. Are you ready to cry out with me? Will you be bold enough to step up here and cry out close to me? Where my saliva? No, I'll put put a mask on. No, I won't, but just I'll step up here, so don't worry. But let's cry out together. Just come up to the front. We're going to lift up our voice, and we're just going to say, God, may our children go higher, God. Pull up, and we cry, and let's cry out for our children. I mean, this isn't an altar call for you to give your life to Christ, so don't worry about it. Just let's call come together. Sometimes it's about important stepping out of our seat, stepping up, and let's cry out. Come on. Come on. Are you ready to cry out? You can start playing as we cry out. But let's lift up our voice and let's cry out. Father, in the name of Jesus, we cry out right now, God. God, we say that our children will go higher. Our children will do more. Father, we pray for this next generation. God, we pray for the culture, God, that has tried to steal this next generation. God, we pray that they will find their place in the church. They will find their place in Christ, God. We cry out for our children that they will not be lost to the woke mentality. They will not be lost to this kind of foolish thinking, God. We pray that our children will be pulled in in the name of Jesus, God. Oh, God, we cry out today for the next generation, God. Our children will go higher. Oh, Oh, God, we cry out for this next generation, God. Oh, God, every plan that the enemy has 
has tried to come in and to deceive them and God tried to pull them away God we rebuke the enemy we send them away in the name of Jesus we pray for a protection over our children's minds God we pray for a hedge of protection over this next generation God we pray God for our those that we are raising up God and God we pray that we will be the the wise parents the wise fathers and the wise mothers to speak into the lives of our children God oh God today we cry out we cry out for the next generation they will not be made eunuchs they will not be stolen away oh father thank you God oh father thank you for this next generation father we thank you barrenness is gone in the name of Jesus we will make disciples in the name of Jesus we will reproduce in the name of Jesus we will lead people to you in the name of Jesus thank you Lord for family life church God for for living word family church God that you have called them God to be right here you place them here right in this location God to reach the people of this area God with the word of faith father I thank you for the mandate on this house God that this will continue through the generations thank you God for pastor Larry who established the church and he passed it on to his son Thank you, God, that this is passing on to sons down the line. Sons of faith, sons of, sons of the natural. We are going to have sons and daughters in the house. Filling this house to the top. Filling the house to every corner. Into the balcony, God. Thank you for generations. Our best days are ahead, Father. Thank you, God that the next generation is going higher. The next generation is going higher. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus was generational. Jesus was generational. To his disciples, you know what Jesus himself said? The works that I do shall you do in greater works. Imagine Jesus said to his disciples, the ones that he's raising up, that you're going to do greater works. I mean, we can't even comprehend that. You know, as great as Moses was, Joshua went where Moses couldn't. Man, our next generation's going where we can't. As great of a king as David was, amen? <laughs> Solomon, the wisest, the wealthiest, and did what David couldn't. Our children are going to go beyond us. We're going to celebrate our children. We're preparing the way for our children. We're expecting, amen? And we're releasing our children. Hallelujah. Our children are going higher. Amen. Our Elishas will have the double portion anointing. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you, Pastor. It's great to be with you. The next generation is going higher. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.